morning. Uh, before we actually uh, start talking about stuff, who's excited for Khalifa's in a little bit? You guys have no idea what you're in for. You are not excited enough. I am so excited for the block party afterwards. It's going to be incredible. I hope you're all uh, planning to stick around for that. We're going to have games for the kids. We have an ice cream sundae bar as well, as well as Sojourner coffee, slinging lattes and stuff um, right here in the lobby after the service. It's going to be awesome. Um, but today, you probably noticed by the fact that it's not just me up here, that this is going to be a little bit different. Um, today, I'm actually going to be interviewing Chelsea. This is Chelsea. Say hi. Awesome. Hi. <laughs> Chelsea is our counselor on the ministry team here. Um, and we've spent the summer talking about spiritual disciplines. And one of the things that becomes obvious as you discuss spiritual disciplines is that emotional health and spiritual health don't seem to be as disconnected as we might think they are. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We have an incredible resource that we have a counselor who's on staff who loves Jesus, knows scripture very well, is a wonderful communicator, um, and can help us understand what it means to be both emotionally and spiritually healthy. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Sound good? Sweet. So before we do that, I want to remind you of what started our whole summer of spiritual disciplines. It was this image that was up on the screen in which we walked through what are kind of, if you were to loosely break down our spiritual development into stages, which you can't really do, but if you were to try to do it, it would look something like this. Speaking in generalities, oftentimes it starts with moments with God. You have some sort of encounter in worship, youth camp. It might be an emotional moment. It might be kind of a dawning awareness. But you come into some sort of awareness of God's presence in your life. And that begins a relationship. Just like any relationship, it usually begins with moments that are significant. And then it draws into some sort of commitment. We can see that, right? Almost every relationship, you know, you're on a dating app. You go on a date with someone. You have a moment. You go on a second date, right? Like relationships begin with moments of some sort of connection. We have moments with God. We begin to see the goodness of God, and it leads us to managing behavior, where we actually begin to see that the things God says are bad for us are bad for us. The things that he says are good for us are good for us, and we have some sort of desire to live in his way. So we begin to bring intentional shift into our behaviors. And then you'll notice that there's a dotted line that says the shift Oftentimes, one of these significant seasons of our life as followers of Jesus, where a lot of people would say, man, something really changed for me, is when they make the shift from looking at your life, from looking at my life, to looking at how the goodness of Jesus impacts others. I was a youth pastor for a long time, and I can tell you story after story of times where students, volunteers, even me leading trips, found a significant moment with the Lord, a significant shift in my mindset when I was able to not just see how the goodness of God affects me, but how it affects other people. Does that make sense? So we often have a deepening or a significant season of our lives when we begin to move outward in our relationship with Christ. But you'll notice that there's a big white line, and it's called the wall. Everybody say the wall. That is not a political statement. Um, that is about, um, some of you will get that later, that's okay. Um, 
<laughs> that is the place where most, I have some, some friends of mine at a church in Greensboro, North Carolina, um, put this together, and they did research studying um, modern psychology, ancient Christian literature, modern um, leaders in spiritual formation, and they kind of mapped this out, and they came to the conclusion that probably 70 to 80% of Christians get stuck at the wall. That's why it's there, that we get stuck at missional behavior, which means we might have passion for needs in the world, but maybe not a lot of empathy for other people who are different than us. We have passion for a specific need, but a really hard time connecting with people across uh, differing lines of experience, things like that. Does that make sense? And here's why that wall exists, because the next stage is the movement inward. The next stage in our relationship with Jesus requires looking inward at your own life and examining the lies that you've believed, the wounds that you've held, the coping mechanisms that you've developed. And here's the thing, that is not really fun. All three stages before this have some sort of tangible payoff in my life. Would you agree with that? Yeah, they all have some sort of payoff. I manage behavior. I get toxic behavior out of my life. It's better. I begin to minister to other people and see the goodness of God for other people. I see life change happen in other people. That's exciting. It makes me feel better. Looking inward to examine my wounds and the lies that I believe and the unhealthy patterns that I perpetuate does not have a tangible emotional payoff, at least not initially. You have to go through a season of difficulty before you see any sort of return on that. And many of us get stuck there. And, but it's through the movement inward that we are empowered to model the life of Jesus. And really what we mean when we say modeling the life of Jesus is we're able to live with intentionality, where we're not kind of like accidentally not really knowing how our actions impact the world, but we're able to see and move with intentionality in the world so that we are learning about our wounds and seeing the way our behaviors impact other people and growing in our understanding of why do I do this, why do I feel this way when someone says that, and learning how to respond in a more healthy and more Christ-like way. Does that make sense? Right? Now, there's one more really important thing before we jump into the interview. Do you see the squiggly line? Yeah? Nobody progresses in their walk with Jesus in a straight trajectory. It is not up and to the right for any of us. Life is not like that. That's not how life works. That's not how our relationship with Christ works. And if we expect our relationship with Jesus to always be forward and to not follow the more or less trajectory of life in which hard things happen, things change, we go through new experiences that push us forward and backward in life. If, if we don't account for that in our expectation of our growth, we're going to find ourselves disappointed and discouraged a lot. But we have to be able to see that life is not up and to the right. So our relationship with Christ is not always up and to the right either. Oftentimes we take two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, eight steps back, but we more or less move in the relation, in our, towards Christ in our relationship with him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Make sense? So, what spiritual disciplines empower us to do is they empower us to take the step inward. We've been saying since the beginning of the summer that spiritual disciplines are physical actions that create space for the inner 
work of the Holy Spirit, physical actions that create space for inner, for spiritual and emotional transformation. Spiritual disciplines almost always bring to light the overlap in our spiritual and our emotional reality. So what we're talking about today and what we've been talking about all summer is what does it mean for us to move past the wall? Make sense? All right. Ready to jump into the interview? Tired of listening to me talk? Ready to hear Chelsea talk? Amen. All right. So, Chelsea, here's the first question. And as a professional in the area of mental and emotional health, what would you say is the connection between emotional health and spiritual health? Yeah, can I pray? That's a weird shift from what you just said. You can. Yep, that seems like a good thing to do. Always a good thing. God, we just come before you again this morning. God, grateful that we can in any moment. And so, Father, as we uh, begin the the dialogue of this conversation, would you just give clarity uh, to my words and to the things that we will say? Um, Father, would you bring to light the things that need to have light shine upon them in our hearts? Um, And we trust you to do that work. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... We think about, you know, different kind of parts of who we are, realms of who we are. Um, like we're physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. Um, some people also say relational. You can have relational health. Um, kind of becomes part of this too. Um, and all of those things are pivotal to who we are and to how healthy we are in any given area of our lives. Um, I think some people even view spiritual health and emotional health as the same thing. I would say they're not um, because there's, there's a difference. You can have someone who's emotionally healthy, separated from Jesus, um, or separated from, from a religious spirituality, uh, and you can have somebody who is spiritually healthy but not emotionally intelligent or emotionally in tuned. They kind of shut down um, acknowledgement of that part of their lives and just keep going. And um, we can't ignore any part of our lives. We have to kind of be attuned to and let the Lord attune us to um, each of those different realms of of how he's created us that it was good creation to give us emotions and and feelings and it was intentional it's not a bad thing yeah absolutely one of one of my favorite quotes um, from a modern theologian N.T. Wright um, who is a theologian from Oxford um, one of the preeminent scholars on the New Testament alive today he says that the greatest threat to the modern church is Gnosticism Um, If you've been around the fold for a while, you've heard us talk about that. Gnosticism is an ancient belief, but it basically says that there is a big difference between your spiritual reality and your physical reality. And that would extend into your emotional reality. So Gnosticism often plays out like this. Either you imagine that only the spiritual matters and nothing physical matters, so you wind up kind of doing whatever you want, but just trying to believe the right things. Or you believe that really only the spiritual matters and the physical doesn't matter. So you wind up living with an extreme amount of legalism because the physical is bad and you're trying to get rid of any physical desire in your life. Both of those extremes exist in the church. 
And we see this constantly in our world today. Uh, we, I grew up in a world in which feelings were can, well, oftentimes said feelings aren't real or feelings aren't true. Your emotions are not the truth about you, um, which didn't necessarily help things because the f- emotions were real, whether we said they were real or not. They were things that we were experiencing, whether they were real or not. And Christian spirituality tells us that we are a human that we are not differentiated into body and soul. You are not, and I've heard, uh, I've heard preachers say things like this, you are not a spiritual being having a physical experience. You are not a soul inhabiting a body. You are a human made in the image of God, mind, body, emotions. All of that is true. So those are different parts of who we are, but all of that is required. All of that is part of who we are. Does that make sense? We're on the same page there. So our spiritual and emotional health are not the same thing, but they can't be extrapolated as fully separate things either. For us to be healthy people, we have to have a mindset that says we are holistically healthy people, which I would argue that that's what we're looking at when we look at the wall, is that we're looking at that stall that often happens as our spiritual development is when we refuse to take emotional health as part of our spiritual development. So second question Um, how in your mind can spiritual disciplines bring health into both areas? Or let me rephrase that. Can spiritual disciplines bring health into both emotional and spiritual areas of our lives? And if so, how do you think that works? Yeah, absolutely. I think whenever, I think if we've lived long enough, we know how these things interact, how we feel them. And I think as followers of Jesus, when we're in the Lord, our faith is the foundational part of all of those areas of our lives, or, or that's our, our desire, is for that to be true. And so when we are, when we are, we know that there's a big connection between how, how we eat and exercise and our mood, right? Research shows us that. Um, we can see their connections like that across our lives. I think spiritual disciplines cause us to slow down and anything that causes us to slow down and become reflective or contemplative uh, in ourselves forces us to um, to feel the things Um, we live so fast-paced right we um, I feel like we talk about this a lot at the full but we also can't talk about it enough that we live fast lives we go from one thing to the next, even if they're all good things, even if they're all Jesus-associated things, that we do so much, and the slowing down is not natural to us. It's not easy um, for us because the, the fast has become a lot easier than maybe even it was 15 or 20 years ago. Um, so I think when we slow down and we begin to do something intentionally, like a spiritual discipline, like a practice, like a, um, a time-invested commitment to doing, well, not to doing, but to being, right? The purpose of spiritual disciplines being communion with God, spending time with intentional rest with the Father. When we bring ourselves to that place where we can slow down enough, um, we begin to kind of stir the things that maybe we push down or push away or thought that we had dealt with, but that's just the thing that keeps coming right back. So I think that there's a, a strong connection between them, and when we slow enough, um, we can begin to 
dive in a little bit. Yeah, I think it's really interesting how many of the spiritual disciplines are primarily focused on not doing things instead of doing things. So every year at the, in the spring, we do a Praxis One Day event where we spend time in solitude. Solitude is a historic Christian discipline in which you go somewhere alone and don't do anything. Which, the, a lot of times, when we go and practice solitude, our tendency is to think, sweet, I'm going to read a whole book of the Bible. But that's actually not the practice of solitude, because the practice of solitude is going to be alone in stillness and not doing anything. And solitude forces you to confront all of the things that you have been trying to silence which is why we don't like solitude, for the record. Um, in conversations about solitude all the time, I hear people say things like, well, um, I don't want to be alone because I don't want to be alone with my thoughts. <laughs> I don't want to be alone because I don't want to have to deal with all these things that I stay busy so that I don't have to think about. But solitude actually forces us to confront those things, right? Solitude creates space for that. Fasting is the spiritual discipline of not doing something, of giving something up and allowing the need of that thing to, to link your heart to your need for the Lord and to direct your desires to the Lord in intimacy. Um, so most of our spiritual disciplines in some way require giving something up or not doing something, even confession. Confession seems like a very active spiritual discipline, and it is, but confession is actually the decision to not keep the secret anymore, to not cover the thing up. Does that make sense? Because it actually takes more energy to maintain, to hold the coping mechanism and to hold on to the lie. That is more exhausting than it is to confess the thing. So confession is actually finally saying, I can't do it, and bringing it to the light for the Lord. So all of these things, they slow us down and they force us to interact both emotionally and spiritually because they force us to see our emotions in a spiritual practice. Does that make sense? We're, we're doing a spiritual practice in which we can't help but notice our emotions. It, it removes that, which just for the record, because solitude is probably the least practiced spiritual discipline in the modern world. I don't like to be heavy-handed very often when I'm talking about things, but just so you know, Jesus practiced solitude all the time, and he was God. So if he needed it, you do. <laughs> make sense? <laughs> I'm not God, so I super need solitude. We all do. It's a historic spiritual discipline. Uh, I was talking with somebody about this, I think yesterday. Um, for much of Christian history, people did not have paper Bibles to read. For most of us, our spiritual life comes down to, I'm going to read my chapter of the Bible today. For 1,500 years or so, most families didn't own a Bible. There wasn't a printing press to print them and give them to people. So your spiritual life certainly involved scripture the hearing and reading of scripture anytime it was available to you, but your spiritual life was anchored in silence, solitude, prayer, fasting, generosity, confession, physical actions that created space for the work of the spirit. That makes sense? Awesome. Have anything else you'd like to add to that before we move on? All right. All right, so thinking biblically, where do we see in scripture the overlap between our emotional and spiritual reality? I think growing up, you referenced this too, growing up, there was no overlap. Uh, I did not see, experience, was not taught there was any overlap between 
um, our spiritual health and our emotional health. And I think that's something, you know, we're just kind of beginning to unpack and acknowledge, you know, people have feelings and it's a good thing and feelings aren't facts and we can't always trust them, but that's okay. They matter. Um, but I think, you know, when we look at scripture and I think the older I've gotten, the more I can see stories in scripture as, you know, the characters of the stories are human beings. They are human beings. They have feelings. They had failures. They made mistakes. They rejoiced. They grieved. They did a lot of things. And so I think when we look at scripture, we can see um, specifically maybe in the life of Jesus, uh, more so, maybe not more so than anywhere else. I'll take that back. But when we look at the life of Jesus, we see him experience a range of emotions, right? He rejoices, he celebrates, he, he grieves, he's in anguish, he's in pain, he feels sorrow, he feels anger, he feels so many things, and we get to see him display these things and not chastise them, that there's no separation as he lives his life as an emotionally created human being, as we are, there is no separation, and I think we see in the, the New Testament and the Old Testament alike that there's deep connection as people were formed into as followers of Jesus in the New Testament and, and in the Old Testament in seeking to <clears throat> love God well and to follow his commands that there's such a connection between the growth that they had in doing so and the way that they were able to feel the depth of their spiritual life. Uh, I think that we, when we believe that God is also Lord of our emotions, when we see that God is actually sovereign over all of us and how he's created us, that it changes our ability to come before him in them that it changes the way that we believe he can receive us, see us, and know us, that my emotions don't scare God, that they don't um, turn him away. There's nothing separated in that um, from, from who he is, too. And so I think that there's so much, so much overlap. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you referenced this. Jesus in the story of the healing of Lazarus. We know from the story, Lazarus is one of Jesus' closest friends. Jesus knows that he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but the shortest verse in the Bible comes from that story, and it says Jesus wept. Jesus wept because his friend died, even though he knew that resurrection was coming for his friend, right? Jesus wept because his friend experienced the pain of death. If Jesus can weep, we can and if, G, if we don't have to have an explanation in the passage to justify Jesus weeping, he just wept, then sometimes it's okay for us to just have a rough day. It's okay for us to have a season of grief. It's okay for us to be honest and in tune with our emotions. That is perfectly normal. Do you see that? Nowhere in the story, and you can go back and double check me on this, nowhere in the story do, do we hear the author of the gospel say, Jesus wept, but everything was okay. He wasn't really sad. He was just weeping out of empathy for the people. No, it says he wept because his best friend died, right? There's no justification. 
he was just sad. Another, uh, I think, really powerful example of this comes from the story of Elijah. I believe it's 1 Kings 18. Um, Elijah has this incredible, incredible moment where he literally sees fire come down from heaven, right? I've never seen that. He saw that. It's a genuine miracle. Um, but after this, the, uh, the evil leaders of the nation are out to get him. He runs away into the wilderness, and he is in, the low, in one of the lowest states that we see someone in Scripture. There are scholars who have compared it to postpartum depression because he went through a very high and very intense moment, and then he was left in the repercussions of that after the moment was over. And we see Elijah in the wilderness um, completely destitute emotionally. Um, but what we see is not God saying, Elijah, get over it. What we see is God meeting Elijah. We see first God feeding Elijah and giving him rest. God bringing him food so that he can make it. And then we see this beautiful story where Elijah is preparing to meet God. And a, and a wind comes, a storm comes, an earthquake comes. God isn't in any of those things, which is probably for our benefit more than Elijah's. Because God comes in the still, small voice because Elijah was at the lowest point of his life. An earthquake would have probably ruined him. Like God knew that Elijah couldn't have handled the full force of God's presence because God can come in an earthquake. Does that make sense? God comes in a still, small voice because Elijah needed the still, small voice in the moment. We see God meet Elijah in his emotional need in the moment. God is spiritually present and emotionally present to Elijah's reality without correcting Elijah's emotional reality. God doesn't come in and say, come on, man, get your stuff together. It's not really that bad. God comes to him in a still, small voice after feeding him and caring for him and giving him rest. After an extended period of just taking care of him, in his low moment, he then begins to speak to him. I mean, if that is not emotional attentiveness from the Lord and emotional care from the Lord, then I don't know what is. So we see this clearly. And just for the record, there's not a place in Scripture where we see God specifically say your emotional and spiritual health are interlinked because the idea that they are not is a fairly modern idea. You don't really see in scripture God say anywhere, your body and soul are both part of who you are equally. You are not a soul inhabiting a flesh suit. You don't see that because that's a fairly modern idea. That wouldn't have been present in scripture. It would have been assumed that I am physical and spiritual, that the physical world is also the spiritual world. They are interconnected, separate, but overlapping and interwoven and indistinguishable. Does that make sense? Um, all right. I need to quit rambling because we got tacos to eat. Uh -huh. All right, so I think this is a really important question. Um, when we talk about spiritual disciplines, um, maybe this is just me, but spiritual disciplines can easily feel like another way of entering into performance and legalism with the Lord. Um, in fact, the, the primary um, authors or writers about modern spiritual disciplines, Richard Foster and Dallas Willard, um, both expressed the concern that spiritual disciplines would become just another legalism, that they would just become another thing that we do in order to earn something spiritual instead of a practice of health. So in your mind, how do we avoid spiritual disciplines just becoming performative or just becoming more works that we feel like we have to do to get something from God? I think when we approach them, whatever discipline it is, I think that we have to know why we're doing it. 
that that matters more than anything, that it really is a being with God and a, and a communion with him, that the desire, the goal, the whole purpose mm-hmm. of the discipline is simply to be with God. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily, as we've talked about this weekend, it's not that every moment we take away for prayer or for fasting or for um, any any experiential thing that we're doing and seeking God, that we have this deeply emotional moment with him. It's not that we have this reward, this exchange of, if I do this, God will be present to me. If I do enough, he will show up, right? It's, um, it's very, very counter to that, actually, that the discipline of the practice is good in and of itself because it's the discipline that turns our attention away from ourselves and more onto the Lord, gives us space um, to be aware of how he's working um, in our lives, in the lives of the people around us. So I think when we approach whatever discipline it is, uh, prayer or I think silence and solitude has been the biggest one that I have, um, it is so counter, right, to our culture and society that we would go away for even a few hours. Um, I know that as Jay and I have talked about this before, it feels odd to think I'm going to turn everything off for a few hours, but what if somebody needs me? It's like, what if they do, right? What if, what if they do? Um, when we think about approaching a discipline, we do it because of the practice being formative in and of itself, It's not for the reward that we gain. However, Jesus is with you in the space, and it's about communion with him. So when I separate this idea of doing, of doing a thing and having having an experience and um, getting what I'm hoping to get out of putting in my effort, then I can be more attuned to what the Lord actually has for me. I believe that God wants us to come with all the things that we have on our minds and our hearts and and to lay them before them. But there is good in laying all of them before him and still just staying there. I don't have to 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 lay it all out to share my heart and to do all the things and then check it off a list and then move on. I can lay them at his feet and then be with him I can stay present to him whether that's in prayer or or silence and and his presence Um, I can be more aware of it when I am disciplined in those things yeah absolutely I would just add to that Um, let me ask this question Um, parents in the room people who are parents all right uh, don't raise your hand or answer this out loud do your kids make your life easier uh, yeah, um, that's what I thought. Um, we love them. They are wonderful. We are so grateful for them. Um, a lot of the analogies in Scripture for our relationship with God are more helpful than we allow them to be um, because God calls himself Father. And we often think of works as earning something from God as if we have to like help him out and then he'll give us something back, as if it's like an exchange. Like he needs something from us and then he'll give us something back. But we don't make God's life easier. Like, he doesn't need anything from us. 
He's, he's not like asking us to do these things so he'll feel better, so he'll have a better day, so his bank account will go better, so he has less stress. None of that. The spiritual disciplines are for us. And that's, I think that shift in our thinking is, is one of the things that can really help us avoid legalism. Is If God sa- says to fast, it's not because he has more cattle on more hills if, he like, if, if we fast. No, it's because we need it, right? It's for us. It's not for him. And that's really, really important. God doesn't need anything from us. We're not making his life more convenient. He loves us and desires good things for us. So even when he asks us to do things that are hard, it is out of a desire for our good. His greatest good is is our good because he is a good father. Um, So these last two questions are really practical just to help us um, take steps into spiritual disciplines. Some of you guys, um, maybe you've been following Jesus for a while. Maybe you've sort of practiced spiritual disciplines, um, and you might be interested in a next step. But my guess is there are a lot of us in this room that are maybe new to following Jesus or maybe just really, really new to the practice of spiritual disciplines. Because for much of the life I grew up in, spiritual disciplines weren't really talked about, at least in any specific practice. Quiet time, yes, but an intention practice of spiritual disciplines was not necessarily part of the discussion. So we want to just map out before we wrap up what it looks like to engage in that. So first question, for somebody who is just beginning their journey with Jesus, how would you recommend them beginning to practice spiritual disciplines? Yeah, I think like with any, for new believers, discipleship is so critical. And I think discipleship and and the disciplines as well. So finding someone who can walk alongside you, someone who has spent some time learning about spiritual discipline, learning, experiencing it for themselves, and being able to practice um, what, not practice what they preach, but um, being able to practice something that you know someone else is also walking through. I think it's also important to know that when it comes to spiritual discipline, there's nobody who's doing it all and doing it all, all the time and perfectly well. Um, That we're all in a journey toward greater understanding of and communion with God. And in that, we can walk alongside each other well to be able to say, you know, hey, maybe it's accountability. Maybe it's saying, hey, I'm gonna try to, to do this and I really want you to ask me how it goes and and just having a conversation with somebody. I think anytime we can have someone who has been practicing a life with Jesus or specifically a discipline um, like this longer than us, it's a good thing. I would also say um, being able to, you know, start small. It doesn't have to be, when you look at the books, like the ones that um, CJ referenced by Dallas Willard or Richard Foster or any of the, um, the books that have kind of the lists of the disciplines in them. Some have, some have 10 or 12 or 20 or there's a lot of different things that, that are out there. Um, that's really overwhelming. That's really intimidating to think, okay, now I've got to find time um, when we already don't have enough time to do everything else, right, um, to, to set aside, to do all of these things. And I think that's when we have to remember it's being, it's not doing, right? It's constantly this evolving thing. But when we can, when we can start slowly 
and just pick one. Pick one that you want to implement one day a week. Maybe that's a maybe that's 30 minutes of silence. Maybe it's 10 minutes. Maybe it's two hours. Maybe that's a time that's intentional confession. Uh, maybe there's um, contemplative prayer or something that you want to intentional worship that's just for you with the Lord, whatever that thing is, um, beginning to figure out how do I make this practical in my life? Because we have a lot of great ideas and great things that we want to try to do, um, maybe more so in January in the new year than any other time of the year, but beginning to incorporate these things and make them lasting is much more important than just trying to throw the kitchen sink at yeah. doing spiritual discipline. Yeah. So I think starting slowly is Ab- important too. Absolutely, absolutely. Start slow. Um, a, a way that I practice solitude and or silence um, in an everyday way that's attainable um, is, or in a, some days, not every day, um, probably three or four days a week when I'm driving to work, um, I pick an exit on the interstate and I don't turn on any music, don't take any call, don't do anything, but sit in silence from the time I leave my driveway until I hit that exit. And that's just part of the ritual is in that time, my whole goal is just, you are with me, Lord. What am I feeling right now? How am I feeling right now? What am I worried about right now? And just trying to be silent um, and notice life. Um, there's an app called Lectio 365 um, that helps you practice kind of meditative prayer or abiding prayer like we practice <clears throat> here at The Fold often um, that you can download. It's 10 minutes, um, kind of like devotionals every day, but they practice meditative and abiding prayer um, and you're guided through that. Um, yeah, things like that. Um, fasting, fasting a meal a week instead of a day or a weekend is a wonderful place to start. Um, if you're beginning that practice. Um, so the follow-up question then is for somebody who's been following Jesus for a while and who's maybe looking to go deeper in their practice of spiritual disciplines, or maybe, um, I would say this is probably true for a lot of us, um, maybe somebody who is approaching the wall. You're in that phase where it feels like your relationship with Christ is kind of stagnated, you're stuck, you know there's more, um, but you haven't moved into that. How, what would you recommend in terms of spiritual disciplines to help somebody take that next step in their relationship with Christ? Yeah, um, more so than anything, I want us to know that feeling that place, that stagnant place is normal, that you're not necessarily doing anything wrong if you find yourself in your spiritual walk and journey with God and it feels like, I'm doing this alone, I'm walking this by myself, that it's normal to walk through seasons where, it feels, again, feels different than it has in the past. Um, so I think in, in doing that, it is a discipline mm-hmm. to continue to pursue what we know and not what we feel. Mm-hmm. Um, what we know to be true and not how we feel about it in the moment or how we feel about our circumstances or feel about our relationship with God at the time. We know that he is faithful and he is unchanging. Mm-hmm. And so I think as far as incorporating those, I think we have to be honest with what we're feeling in those places, Um, that it is wrestling with in those places. I'm still doing these things or this thing. I'm still trying to pray and talk to God. Or maybe even, maybe you've been in a season 
where it's felt you felt very distant from the Lord Mm -hmm. and you're coming back and it's almost like how do I even restart some of these things that I used to do but maybe led me to this place what do I do differently Mm -hmm. Um, I think anytime that we're intentionally in a disciplined way pursuing deeper communion with God he is with us he is Mm -hmm. present with us And I think remembering who he is in those moments, his character, his nature, how he sees us, how he loves us, is one of the most important things. When we hit that wall, when we hit that place, or we're trying to to dive a little bit deeper into these practices. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, The things that I would recommend for someone um, personally is um, if you are if you're identifying you're in that place where you're hitting the wall, um, I would recommend taking a whole day of solitude. Um, that's probably the most important thing that I could recommend for anyone because as we've already talked about um, extensively, that uh, we oftentimes don't notice the things. We don't slow down enough to notice the things that are preventing us, that are hi- inhibiting us, the lies that we believe. And a whole day of solitude is one of the um, one of the best ways to kind of like almost shock yourself back into reality. I mean, I'll tell you, if you practice a whole day of solitude, it'll take you three hours to feel alone. For three hours, your mind is going to be spinning. Um, You are not even going to feel like you're alone. You're not going to feel like you're at peace because that's how long it takes. We are so connected and so busy and so constantly stimulated by media and screens and noise all the time. Um, I actually just heard recently that um, the World Health Organization has listed noise pollution um, as a threat to human health because we are so constantly hearing things. Um, It is so hard for things to be silent and for us to be alone. Um, So finding a place where you can be alone and silent, um, allowing yourself to, um, to work through allowing your thoughts to finally still without being in a hurry so that you can finally notice. Francis Schaeffer, who's kind of a polarizing figure in uh, Christian history, I find myself really agreeing with some stuff he says and then really disagreeing with some other stuff that he says. But he said um, about our emotional health that many of the issues that we face come from trying to be someone that we're not or trying to carry something that we can't. But here's the thing. You don't know if you're trying to be someone you're not until you slow down long enough to notice. And you don't know what you're carrying until you get alone long enough to see how heavy it is because the noise keeps us from noticing. So that's, that would be my one recommendation. All of the spiritual disciplines are incredible, but the one that is so distinctly counter to the culture that we live in right now that I think would be the most helpful for it to help us move past or begin to address the wall, that plateau that we experience that once again is absolutely common, it's normal. There is a Christian term for that that was developed by a poet, I believe it was St. John of the Cross, called the dark night of the soul. Everybody goes through that. Um, but to begin to address that is silence and solitude. Any closing thoughts? I think the only other thing I was thinking about is just as we remember how God has created us intentionally as mind, body, soul, and strength, right? That he intentionally created us with these different areas of our lives that we can be attuned to. Uh, When we are in him, the 
abundant life, the life to the fullest that I believe he describes in John 10, 10, where he says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, and yet I have come, that you would have life abundantly, life to the fullest. I believe that fullest life is when our spiritual health, when our relationship with the Lord is the foundation of all of those other places in our lives, when our um, even our physical health, when our physical health, mental, emotional, relational health, all those areas of our being are aligned with what God has for us, the best that he has for us. That is life to the fullest. That is um, communion with him and connection with him in all these places of our lives. Um, that is a that is what we pray as, a, as an up and to the right, but is a um, constantly evolving journey toward health in those places but I think when we attune to attune to ourselves and the Lord's presence with us and allow him to speak into our lives in each area of our lives to slow down enough to quiet enough to be present to that to his work in us um, that is the life to the fullest amen well, would you guys help me thank Chelsea for sharing today? If you are interested in spiritual disciplines and still after this you're thinking, man, I would really like help getting started, please come talk to us. You do not have to walk through this alone. You do not have to walk through any of it alone. We're going to spend a little bit of time in worship as we close, and then we are going to eat some tacos and some ice cream and drink some coffee. Amen? Amen. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are not just concerned for where we spend eternity, though you are concerned with that. We thank you that you are concerned with our lives now, that you came that we would have life and have it to the fullest. God, we know that that means not just believing the right things, but that means walking with you and walking in your way and experiencing your goodness. And God, I ask that you as the good shepherd would shepherd us into spiritual and emotional health that we would be people who point to your goodness with our lives in every area of our lives. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.